Hello world, what is up? Welcome to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Fourteen. On today's episode, oh man, we're talking about love. Now, if you're following us as we're creating these in real time and uploading them, then you know Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And if you've discovered our show a little later down the road and are listening in the future, well, then I I guess just know that for us, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Uh, And we here at the Feelings Lab found ourselves at a bit of a crossroads, you know? We could travel the well-trodden path and dive deep into anger, disappointment, frustration, rage, hostility, all the hits, and contribute yet another conversation to the public discourse about surviving the holidays. Or, or, option B, bear with me here, we could go a little nostalgic. You know, back to what I remember Thanksgiving being all about when I was a kid. Beyond the homemade lasagna and awkward small talk with cousins that are practically strangers, and Al Roker regaling us with tales of all the Macy's balloons that have taken out New York City lampposts, Thanksgiving, as I was reminded by a great group of friends just this past weekend, is about love. Now, I hear you screaming at the show already. Thanksgiving isn't about love. Valentine's Day is about love, dummy. First of all, don't be rude, okay? Second of all, Thanksgiving, as the name suggests, is about being thankful. I don't know about you, but nine times out of ten, what am I thankful for if not a bunch of stuff that I love? And don't worry, just because I pulled a muscle trying to stretch today's theme into something topical doesn't mean we're going to narrow the focus. If we're talking about love, you best believe we're going to answer all the big questions. From Hathaway's What is Love to finally finding out if the Beatles were right, and it truly is all you really need. That was terrible. I'm sorry I made that joke. Now, joining me to do all those things and more, my favorite sandwich. No, no, not the turkey stuffing cranberry combo we all can't wait to make next week. That's right around the corner. What I'm talking about, of course, is the doctor sandwich. Dr. Alan Callen, Daniel Credit Cobb, and Dr. Decker Keltner are, of course, all here. Uh, but that's not all. Joining us today, a very special and exciting guest. You know her from her six-season run on CSINY. She's been in a bunch of shows you love, like Providence and The Resident. She's a multiple Daytime Emmy Award nominee and is currently in production on a brand new comedy series called Greek Candy, a show inspired by her family's 100-year-old chocolate factory, which frankly sounds pretty amazing. Uh, please welcome to the show the talented, the kind, the great Melina Kanakaridis is here. Melina, look at you. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh. Okay, first of all, you said my name so well. Crazy. Thank you. Thank you for that. So (laughs) I'm relieved. I wanted to make sure I nailed it. I'm happy I did. Uh, Thank you so much for being here and and being a part of our show. We're so excited to have you here. Danielle, Dacker, Allen, how are you guys feeling? Welcome back. That's great. Doing well, doing well. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, stoked to talk about candy. We're here to talk about candy. He talked so much in the beginning. I think you said we were here to talk about chocolate. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Chocolate is absolutely going to come right. up. Uh, and who it's doesn't unavoidable. love chocolate, right? I mean, the two are. It's a short list. You know, love and chocolate. <laughs> Kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> that is something exactly. I want to get to that. I want to break that open. I want to find out why that is. And we will, I hope. I think if the, if the other episodes have led me to believe anything, I'm pretty sure we'll figure it out. We usually we usually start with the definition, uh, but I'm curious for scientific purposes, you know, how many variations or categories of love have we established? You know, and for me, I know I love my dog in a different way than I love my friends versus my parents versus my wife. Uh, uh, but 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 before before I get my science people to weigh in on that, Melina, 
It is my understanding that you speak Greek. Yes, I and do. much like the Inuit folks have multiple words for snow, I'm told uh, in Greek there are multiple words for love. Is that right? Did it correct? Did I get that right? Now there's there's discrepancy whether it's seven or eight. I believe it's okay. eight, um, but you have to kind of combine what is um, ancient Greek philosophy. You know, Plato and Aristotle all have their philosophical beliefs, which tend to play true, and. Um, yeah, we love a lot, we Greek people. And and it's it's <laughs> my favorite, and we'll get into all of them. I mean, I could tell you, my favorite is philotimi, philia, mm-hmm. friendship. The love of friendship. There, there's there's a reason all the Greeks went into the hospitality business. They all own restaurants and they when you go to the there are many beautiful countries, but people love to go to Greece because there's this love of life and this love of of it's bigger than empathy. It, it, there is mm. another word for empathy. Um, but this one is friendship that is not about anything but loving and lifting people. And oh. it's mm. a way of life for us. It can sometimes be overwhelming because, mm. you know, we don't have one family member. We have about 375,000 family members because once they become friends, strangers become friends. Philia, philiti, philotimi, um, agapi, eros. Eros is the love, erota. Erota, everything in Greek, it sounds scary, like even Kanakarides. You look at it and you're like, oh my God, there's so many letters. But it, it literally, there are no silent letters. It, it's exactly as it's spelled. So when you hear erota, erota is the love, the romantic sexual love. That's the love for Valentine's Day. Um, it's it. actually really appropriate you're doing love for Thanksgiving because the philotimi, the philia, is all about what Thanksgiving is. We're bringing in people, like my husband says, I collect, I collect people. Well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah. So that's so appropriate with philia. Then you get into other ones. There's mania, like love that's gotten so crazy that, you know, it goes the wrong way. Um, mm. Then there's like the older ones, the a- ancient love, storyi, which is more the love of family, um, how you feel about your your family, your familial love. And then there's um, ludis, ludus, which is basically like uh, a crush, a kid having a crush on somebody, that sort of delicious feeling of really loving something for that moment. And then 30 mm. seconds later, it's like, yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, having raised two daughters who are still in the process because, yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, and then pragma, which is more of a uh, enduring love. That's the love that's been around for years and years and years. And it's come to like an understanding, um, you know, and then my one of my other ones is uh, Plato had uh, platia, which is more of like a platonic love. Um, uh, self-love or Aristotle, actually, it was Aristotle. Plato's was, oh no, uh, agape, agape's my, the, the main one. And agape is just, that's the empathetic love. We love for strangers. We love everyone. And then the last one is self-love, which uh, Aristotle said that if we can't, um, in order to love others, we have to love ourselves first. It's a reflection of 
our own love. And that was also really big in the middle school years because, you know, I would be like, that girl's mean because she's unhappy inside. She doesn't love herself. You know, just turn off the noise and have fun. So anyway, I talk too much. The professionals need to talk. (laughs) (laughs) You you crushed that answer. Well, I have to weigh in. It's amazing. Decker, please go ahead. Weigh in. Yeah, no, you know, it's so great to go to, you know, ancient Greece and it's it's wonderful treatments of love. and, And, you know, I love Melina's kind of broad conceptual landscape. And this is where the maps are really useful, right? This kind mm-hmm. of, how do we sort out this space of love, right? Which has many different reference. Humans love anything from sports shoes to, you know, cars to people. Right. Um, and and I feel like, I mean, just to, you know, part of this love desire is a big distinction that we got to get to. Like there's one that's really long-term and it has devotion built into it, authenticity, and, and scientists have made some sense making sense of that. And then also, you know, the kind of the quick bursts of passions and sexual desire and infatuations that have really a different neurological structure to it. But I, I love Melina, you know, emphasis on, um, and there I loved an idea that she talked about mm-hmm. that is um, friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, we often think of love and we go to like, infatuations as a youthful person or, or, or spiritual love, agape or whatever it may be. But man, don't forget friendship. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They become very prominent on Thanksgiving and, and really throughout the year, it's a, a really important love that needs more attention. Good. So thanks for your, yeah. we learned so much from taking one rich cultural perspective and then like seeing how they map it. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of traction there. Well, that was, that was about. my follow up that I was really curious about, especially to hear from you, Alan, uh, you know, was that sort of the framework? They did all the hard work for you. There it is. Now you just got to find the pieces that fit in. Did you build <laughs> off of that structure that was established? We, you know, science hasn't gotten that far into the, all of those different kinds of love. Um, I mean, love as a general theme is the feeling that you get. When it comes to an emotion, I mean, it's also like the feeling of the bonds that you form, um, and the, the 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 bond itself is called love. So there's there's some confusion there, but as a feeling, it's it's a feeling of strengthening or nurturing these lasting bonds. Hmm. Um, and you see neighboring emotions, uh, self love, sort of like pride. Uh, most of the time, love properly has to do with loving something else, some other person. Sometimes it can be an idea, but it's a lasting bond. Uh, there's also a border on kind of desire and desire can often involve a bond that doesn't last very long. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so there's a difference there. Um, of course, because it's just about forming bonds and humans form all kinds of bonds and they're really, really complicated. There's going to be a lot of different kinds of love. There's filial love, uh, which is love in the family. Uh, there's friendship. There's uh, love between romantic partners. And so you think of romance. Um, all of these things can be felt sort of personally or empathetically. It's all kinds of movies that are themed on different kinds of love. In fact, probably more than half the movies are themed on some kind of love. And that's generally the theme. Uh, so it's an you know, incredibly central emotion, regulates everything in our societies because we rely on commitment and trust and uh, lasting relationships. Uh, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, there's, there's different sounds. You can think of it as the different sounds of love. There's, uh, a sound of parent directed, uh, uh, infant directed speech from parents, which is uh, really characteristic, which is like adoration. It's like, oh, but then it's a speech component of that. Um, there's a sound for romantic. Can I hear that again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny because that sound can oh. also be sympathy, and then that borders on disappointment. Like, oh, which is always the case. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how those relationships happen. Anyway, I'll stop talking, but there's there's a bunch of things to say there. <laughs> Guys, we are only, you're less than like 10 minutes in and there is so much going on that I want to unpack and dig into. This is great. Um, uh, Melina, I want to come back to you because there were so many great bits in in, in, in your opening uh, uh, answer to my question there. And, you know, you mentioned... Including, may we just, may I interrupt you please to say do. Go for it. that Aristotle, I feel like all of his books should be taken out of the philosophy section of the bookstore and put in personal growth. I love what you were just talking about, <laughs> self-love. Come on. Kristen yeah. up in Aristotle. <laughs> 100% agree. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I can't agree more. In fact, you know, I'm an actor, right? But my my life growing up, I would go to Greece in the summers that when my parents could afford it. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, a uh, family of a candy business, chocolate maker. Grandfather came over when he was 18, and all he knew how to do was dip chocolates. And um, he got stuck on Ellis Island. Had an uncle in Youngstown, or uh, yeah, somewhere in Ohio, close to Akron. Um, started selling those chocolates on the on the street corner until he made enough money to rent a, a, a shop. Eventually, buy the store. Then get stuck in World War II, during World War II in Greece for seven years. Um, all of and, and with his family, my mom ended up growing up in Greece. It was all during World War II. Um, they tell incredible stories. They, my mom, my grandfather was allowed out after curfew. I, this is all coming back to love. Um, he was a, a, a man who spoke uh, a little bit of every language. He spoke a little bit of English, a little bit of German. So when the Germans occupied Greece, he was allowed to go out past curfew because he bring, would bring in the sugar and the flour rations. He had a bunch of bags, you know, burlap bags in the back of his truck. And he saw a little pair of shoes hiding behind bushes and uh, kind of turned the wheel because the lights would go with the wheel. Turned out there were a family of five, uh, three kids and the parents hiding from the Germans. And he hid this family in his basement um, for two months until they got him out the borders of Yugoslavia and into safety. And then literally a week after they left, they put a German soldier in their house as a to live there. So it, everything could have gone wrong. Um, but that's like the worst times I'm thinking about, like in my lifetime, I have not experienced, I mean, maybe the towers coming down and maybe this pandemic thing, but it's nowhere near what our family experienced during that time. Um, coming back to love, it's my grandmother, as I would, I had the blessing of having her in my life till she was 97. Um, and she would say to me, you know, we are all much more alike than we are different. And a mother's love is a mother's love and a father's love is a father's love. And that family was our family, you know, so how could we not help each other? And so I, I was raised with this whole, uh, philosophy, you know, like I, I incidentally, Aristotle's, um, school is right by our house in Nausa in Northern Greece. Oh, wow. And when they found Philip the Great's tomb, uh, Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, uh, I was there that summer. 
and the, I got to meet the uh, archaeologist. I had the magazine <laughs> that he signed for me. And it was just fascinating. And I used to play hide and go seek and uh, like in the Aristotle school. So it was so fun. I think you're so right. <laughs> it's It's so important that people see the sort of humanity of his science less that i mean the millions of other things that he came on to but um yes i mean it's all stemming from love and all kind of historically important to me kind of how we were raised were you having first of all thank you for sharing all that's amazing sorry um, the stories story. are incredible no great that's this is a podcast it's a venue for big long stories never <laughs> apologize please uh, but what I'm thinking as I'm hearing this, it's just you grew up. Uh, we've heard about how important it is, is just to your culture, how important it was specifically to your family, how important. Did you ever go through a phase where you almost rebelled against it because it was so prominent and everywhere? Or was it just so easy and natural and it just always felt right for you? And you and you kind of fell right into it. And like this was this was how we are. This is how we should be. Or was there a point where you were like everyone with the love enough already? Like, did you ever reach that <laughs> oh, point? Abso and you're like, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think okay. I think. I think you do, you lose your mind because everybody's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful and yeah. Uh, but it's also a pain in the butt because you're constantly, <laughs> you know, constantly being told how to do things, what to do. And it's all out of love. But, and, and it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, my mom calls me every day. What are you doing? Are you eating? You know, you know, I, I'm old. <laughs> She's 85. I, what the hell? But I have my own kids. And yes, it can be exhausting. But um, yeah. but I think even the rebelling against it, it's so it all depends like what kind of love. Like I fell in love with my husband. Mm. I was 19 years old. He was he was a Greek boy. Mm. I basically broke up with him like right when I wanted to go to New York to become an actress because He's such a good guy. He needed a nice Greek girl, you know, somebody who was going to cook and clean for him. And he was going to get to do whatever he wanted. And I wanted to be an actor more than I wanted to be a good Greek wife. You know, and that's appalling. What are you talking about? And he was, you know, it's just it can be overwhelming. But at yeah. the same time. Yeah, I can't I can't think of life any other way. Otherwise, I get depressed, you know, like I just need to think. Yeah. My mom always said, make your own good time, you know, just keep, yeah. <laughs> keep going, wake up every morning and find a reason that makes you happy and makes you want to keep going and find a solution. Yeah. That's a, that's you a know, Matt, this is one of the deep themes in our, throughout our discussions of the different emotions in the podcast, like the emotions have upsides and downsides and, yeah. you know, you have cultures that are devoted to love and you go to Greece and it's everywhere. And then. Your mom's calling you all the time when you want to be an independent adult and all has these, <laughs> these upsides and, and downsides. And that, I mean, in a way, in many ways, that's the, those are the challenges of identity, mm. you know, is how do we, how do we locate ourselves with these great passions that our family and culture give us? And it's, it's always full of surprises, you know, and it's neat to hear Melina, your story, because people are like, God, I just, the one thing U.S. society needs is just more love. And, well, you know, true. <laughs> well, exactly, you know, so. Sometimes love is hard, though, because in order yeah. to really love someone, you have to tell the truth. And I don't know about you guys, but I think every family has some some bad shit going down. And there are times where if you really love them, 
you know, the cliche tough love, but it's true. And that part's not fun. You know, that's, that's the difficulty. Thank you. Thanksgiving dinner is looking yeah. mighty tricky. <laughs> I already said we weren't having that discussion, Decker. We're not doing that episode. We're, we're doing the love. Thanksgiving's about love. I think learning from Alan, though, what's so interesting about defining it as the bond, the strengthening yeah. or nurturing of the lasting bond is it's like almost the, the tough lives within the container of the love because the love is there to hold you. And the moment where you say, this is raw, this is real, this is not comfortable. We're going to go there. It's going to suck. And then it's okay because this is what we're held by. So I'm like, I don't think I put those two things together until, until this, where it's like, that's why, that's why love is such a healing force. I find Mm -hmm. like, especially when it's, like I'm curious, part of me as you were like giving that beautiful like retinue map of and and the like the the lived bloodline map of love through the Greek culture is it's like the it made me wonder is there a word of love that's for like the Greek people and Greek culture is there a special term reserved for or would that fall under agape? No, it would be philotimi. The one I, I started with. Philotimi. Okay. Philo, it, right. That. Philo, philo, philotimi, it's more than just friendship. It's, um, if you say the best compliment to give someone, it's kind of like honorable as well. It's a mix. Mm. It's, it's, it's a mix of all of that because you are, you are thinking outside of yourself. You are, you are reaching out to create friendships, to create bonds, to basically go, Hey, come mm. here. If you fall, I'll catch you. I'm a stranger. It doesn't matter. Mm. Or I'll set you on a path, like come break bread, eat with us. You know, that's what we know how to mm. do. We, we can feed you and then we can figure your problems out and make a solution. You know, it's, it's, it's more than hospitality. It's reaching out and trying to do the things that are right not just for yourselves or your own family, but for the greater good. Agape's like that mm. as well, but agape has kind of turned into a, an overall huge catch-all word for love. Whereas philotimo mm. is something special. And it's, you know, when you meet somebody and you go, oh my gosh, they just, they just kind of exude that light that you kind of go, I feel safe with this person. I don't know why I connect to you them. like home to me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. And not all Greeks have it, but as a majority, that's sort of what they aim for, what they strive for. If that makes sense. You know, the, oh, go yeah, on. And it's, oh no, it's, I'm so sorry. I'm so excited about this. I was actually listening to, or I don't know if we're allowed to mention other podcasts on our podcast. But <laughs> I, was listening, <laughs> I, was to, I was listening to Krista Tippett and Jason Reynolds, who's the Library of Congress's sort of person who holds uh, literature for young people and does incredible work there. And he was talking about, she was like, what's your definition of anti-racism? And what was beautiful is he was describing what you described and the way he described it is he said, you know, it's simply the muscle inside of us that says humans are human that says, I love you because you remind me more of myself than not. And I love what you're talking about. It's that, that greater collective being that lives inside of us in this collective heart. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Sorry. So no. yummy. Matt, I keep interrupting you. No, That's it's not fine. love. I apologize. <laughs> I love that you're interrupting me because it makes for a great show. 
So it's all good. Uh, but thank you. You didn't have to apologize. Uh, one of the things I'm just thinking of, though, in, in, in one of the thoughts that I was kind of banging around in my head, and I feel like it's related to where we are in the conversation, is uh, some some emotions we say have you have a choice. Like you, you're not necessarily in terms of that, that emotion in the initial phase, but how you hold on to it and how long you engage with it. And we can choose to be loving. But there is an element where you, you there's certain there's a type of love that we cannot choose to engage that we cannot explain it's it's the most ineffable of all you know it, it's the kind of you think of unrequited love where i love someone but they don't love me back in the same way or or not to bring up ted lasso for the four millionth time but season one two people who love each other but not the way they want to love each other and it's so hard for them because they can't make it work and i recognize the scope of the question i'm about to ask here but do we have any idea of what it is that dictates that difference but why we can't choose to love someone you know we can choose to be loving but there is a certain thing that we can't put our finger on but we know it when we feel it what what, what do we have scientifically about about that do we have anything we just going for the ride <laughs> there's a chemical response in the brain that is it's bond unconsciously okay you, you can't say i'm going to feel this burst of oxytocin in specific kinds of brain regions that we see uh, when mothers are talking to their infants and skin on skin contact is really big touch and, and certain kinds of vocalizations activate it. Um, and you know, you can't choose for it not to be activated by that. <laughs> it just happens. Uh, and then once you have that, there's this, and, and it's, it's hard to see it. Uh, it's hard to do these experiments in humans, but if you look at variables, which are a model for pair bonding, because they actually form lasting monogamous relationships. Um, the, you know, the act of meeting their mate actually changes their brain permanently. Um, and there's more oxytocin receptors in the place where the oxytocin receptors are correlated with the degree of pair bonding, um, permanently. And they can't, you know, I, I'm sure that's not something they control either. Yeah. You know, it's your body's response that you've evolved to force you into these relationships so that you will, you know, nurture your offspring and so forth. Interesting. I like and, you know, there's a, there's a forced you into it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly looking for the evolutionary re like why? Why do we do this? I know it feels good, but what why have we done it for so long? Why is it such a core tenet of being a human being? And that's a very interesting uh perspective on it. Thank you for that. Decker, what were you about to say? Yeah, I mean it's I mean in the kind of in the there's there are economic analyses of this as well, and they're interesting other neuroscientific findings that a lot of our life's about just self-interest, right? And going after what I want and maximizing, you know, my gains. Don't care about other people's expenses or, or costs that I incur upon them. And love changes all the calculus of that, of your life, right? You have to sacrifice. You have to give up opportunities for other things. Oops, if you have offspring, you have to, you know, get spit up on and stay up late and, you know, lose your sex life and your social life and everything. And love comes in through oxytocin and washes over you. And you're like, this is all amazing, you know, and, uh, and it is. But it is this, you know, we need these mechanisms that turn us from being these gratification self-interest machines to caring and and love's one of the first um and there are cool um uh studies showing it's so interesting that when you feel deep love um you're you, this part of your brain the amygdala which is involved in a lot of things including like detecting threat and protecting the self just shuts down <laughs> and so when you're feeling love you're like 
you know, you throw yourself into a new life, which is what we need to do. Yeah. Here's the big question to go back to what we started here uh, on the on the show. If I have a piece of chocolate, does that activate <laughs> the oxytocin? Is that what's happening? <laughs> not for real, it is? I think so. Yeah, they're kind of like, I think I've heard hot sauce and chocolate are chocolate. boosters of oxytocin. Interesting. Because one of my questions was specifically, you know, why have we linked chocolate so tightly with love and desire? Like, why not? I don't know. Carrots. You know, like, what was it about chocolate that did it? I don't know. Carrots is a weird one. But you get my point. It's like that. It's so specific. It's, it's, you cannot think of chocolate and not think of love. They're so linked together. And I, yeah. part of that's probably the marketing. But also... We, we Hershey feel it. kisses. Now that is some marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I'm sure a lot of it is marketing, but it's it's fascinating to hear that 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 it's possible. There's a little bit of science behind it as well. That's really interesting. I can Although honestly I do love say, carrots. yeah, I'm I'm you know obviously coming from a Greek family that owns chocolate factory. So um, and and I, I mean. Oh, I had an interview once where it was a bad interview where the guy said, um, when did you, it was really bad. It was a stupid question. It's like, when did you know you were famous? And I was like, okay, that's a bizarre thing to say. And I go, probably the third grade. And he's like, what? And I go, yeah. I go, you know, when people come in for their Genius. birthday. Yeah. And I would bring my grandfather and he would come in with, chocolate like a huge chunk of chocolate and just a hammer and a pick and and the entire school would come in because it was like a 10 pound bar or something and they'd all get like chunks of chocolate and everybody's like who's that that's that greek girl (laughs) but it does like kids kids were so like people everybody there's there's something about maybe there's a reason why we always go hey give me some sugar you know give me a kiss give me you know it's the sweetness (laughs) Um, maybe there is a chemical about, uh, you know, something, but, um, I think you bring joy to people, you mm. know, somebody can be in a really bad mood uh, and mm. you, it's like a gift. It's kind of the same way as food. You know, there's sort of, I mean, it, it was interesting listening to the, the triggers of, you know, the natural instinct of moms loving their babies and that unconditional love. And, um, I think there's a, there's a connection to sort of even music, like singing music. You were saying different sounds about, you know, I think part of our family, it's always, and I think part of my life, it makes me happy again too, not just chocolate and food, but hearing beautiful music or singing together or dancing, or, you know, when you're utilizing, um, your, your mind and your heart and your physicality, you know, a lot of it, like my girls made fun of me. They couldn't wait till COVID was over quarantine. Not so much because it was horrible and better. we all enjoyed it, but I kept kissing them over and over. Like I wouldn't stop hugging them. So they got me a dog. You know, like I love you mom, but you know, uh, can you stop kissing me so much? But I think too, like touch and, you know, it's like so important. And I hope that once yeah. we get past all this, we'll hug again and and touch people and, yeah. you know, 
Yeah, for sure. I just went on a whole tangent. Sorry. I love it. No, this is great. Uh, You were talking about the food and the significance of food and the connection to food. And I was thinking about this earlier, too. And it's like, well, okay, with food, I think like we need fuel, right? We cannot live unless we eat. It is a biological necessity. And so it's interesting to me that we cross those wires, that we have this physical necessity and it overlaps in our brains with with this emotion. So I, I wonder, like, is that enough to suggest that love is an emotional necessity in the way that food is a physical necessity, right? Like we... We need to experience love as human beings. You know, Dacker, you mm. talked about how the oxytocin comes in to to help us sort of sugarcoat all those other things that come with having a child. But uh, you know, in everyone's experience, would you consider love love is an, an emotional necessity? It, it has to exist. It has to be. Alan, what do you think? Is love an emotional necessity? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Well, there are those terrible experiments where there's very few experiments on humans where you can deprive somebody of love, right? <laughs> but you're asking if it's a necessity. So if, it, you know, if it's a necessity, then people can't do it without it. If you, if you raise monkeys without mothers um, or you don't give them the opportunity to have skin-on-skin contact, they're basically they become dysfunctional completely. Oh, they don't yeah. you know, eat. They just, you know, wither away. So yeah, in that sense, definitely. Um, and I would probably think that other forms of love are also necessities in the sense that our bodies are built to seek out, you know, hair bonds. We, we, we want to uh, be able to raise offspring. That's an evolutionary imperative. Uh, and so if we don't have that, some, you know, there's probably a signal that something's missing. Um, so... Not, not necessarily that it's for everybody. Maybe some people can get by without that. I'm fine. But, uh, but I do think that uh, there is a biological imperative there. Those poor monkeys. Uh, but thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> and I'm glad you prefaced it with that. It was a terrible study. I was at least emotionally ready to hear that. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about, Melina, when you were talking, you mentioned give me some sugar. I went to, to find a list of just how many pet names you think of how you refer to your loved ones, right? There's sugar, there's sweetie, there's pumpkin, there's honey, there's jelly bean, uh, muffin, peanut. You keep going. There's a million of them. And we just have all these fun little nicknames, these terms of endearment. And then I only bring this up because there was one that I'm hoping is familiar to you and forgive me I don't speak Greek I barely mastered English and um, <laughs> it's, it's supposedly a common term of endearment in Greek meaning my little green bean and it's um, <laughs> it's F-A-S-O-L-A-K-I Fasolaki yeah that's the one Fasolaki that's very funny I when you put Aki after every name it's like my love. So I'm to my family, I'm Melinaki or Melina Moo, Moo, my Melina, right? So it's it's uh. and like Zoe Moo, Karina Moo, my these are my kids. Or like I'll say Karinaki. Um yeah, it's it's yes, Fasolaki means you're my little bean. <laughs> Yeah, there was, it was specific. I don't know how I stumbled upon specifically like the Greek terms of endearment, but I found out, I was like, this is perfect. I must bring this up tonight. Uh, It's adorable. Thank you for it. Yeah. So that's really fun. After tonight, you'll be my little fossil life. How's that? (laughs) 
That is an honor <laughs> and a privilege, wow. madam. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm blushing. Somebody take over, ask a question. <laughs> Quick, decide. You are blushing, by the way. There you go. Expressions of love. All right, here's a fun pivot. Dacker, a couple of times now in our pre-game chats, uh, you've casually tossed out there, You always, for almost every emotion, you've gone, we could talk about psychedelics, and it never really made it all the way to the show, but you always bring it up. And I feel like now's a great time. Uh, I want to indulge. I want to talk about psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think of the summer of love. I think of people, you know, blissed out of their minds. And I'm, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. Is the love that one may experience in that state a byproduct of the, of the chemistry of the drug and therefore some way inauthentic? Or, or are the drugs allowing you access to something that you may not have been able to get to otherwise for whatever reason? What can you tell me about it? Are you it? asking Dacker the scientist or Dacker the mystic or all of the above? Well, I'm certainly not asking Alan who wants to talk on the record. I know you won't tell me about your experience yeah. with psychedelics if there is any, but I, I, I want to ask Decker in all of his, fa every facet of Decker. Give me the knowledge. What do you got, sir? What can you tell me? Well, you know, I, I think it's important we talk about this because they're here. Uh, 25, 30 million Americans are trying, you know, one of the kinds of psychedelics from psilocybin, LSD, to ayahuasca, to ketamine, et cetera. And, and they're good for certain conditions of suffering. Uh, veterans are very interested in this for, as one example. And, um, you know, part of, I think it really is what Melina talked about earlier, which is agape, like, you, you know, um, psychedelics uh, aren't about desire, or romantic love. They're about this deep love of life, um, you know, living forms and fellow human beings you don't know. And I, you know, the question of authenticity is a deep one. And a lot of the um, real deep practitioners from the Dalai Lama to Indigenous Mayan traditions just see psychedelics as one root of many and really want us to be thinking about how do we build a life that gets to Molina's characterization earlier of like, there are all these loves that I could fill my, my day with, right? Um, but I don't think it's inauthentic. I think it shuts down your self-focused parts of the brain, opens you up to how marvelous life is, you know, and, and how, uh, how core it is to love things. So... I think it's an exciting development in our culture. I'm happy to talk about psychedelics. Go for it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Open the door. No, and the, re the reason I say that is... Um, <laughs> sorry. Are you on them right now? Yeah, the reason I say that is because the mushroom tea I've been drinking this morning, it's just starting to really kick in. It'll probably peak right at the end, and I'll just hug all of you. I'm going to get my I'm, drum. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, like that fabulous, what was his name? And Saul, the one that like was the sign spinner. Anyway, I digress. Um, it's the mushrooms. No, <laughs> no. The, the reason the, the reason I actually think that's a powerful question yeah. is, um, dear friend, you know, dear friend and spiritual teacher, also literally the person by which I met the love of my life. He married my husband and I, but Ramdas, his whole journey is this arc. And what's beautiful about his kind of hero's journey living this arc is that 
he started out as this kind of decorated psychology professor and then ran into Tim Leary at Harvard and started, started working with psychedelics. And then, you know, that part of the story is kind of infamous history. But what's beautiful is when he talked about that journey, he talked about how expansive it was and how he dropped his self. And really, it's this inducement of awe and oceanic love. And then what's so amazing about that is he felt that he went on many heroes journeys (laughs) with the, the medicine itself. And then he got to the point where... He'd done it so many times that he was like, you go up, but you always come down. And this is where it's it's the thing that shows you the map, but it doesn't take you to the map maker. And so the thing is, how do you get there on your own? And so mm. his shift from scientist to spiritual teacher was because he went to the he went to India and seek of the map, like the real map and the real map makers, and thought perhaps like the kind of ancient science that was living there could give him some of those answers. And when he went, he met his guru. He was, you know, had an experience with him that completely met, melted his mind, his incredibly well formed, beloved mind of his. And then he felt this experience of what he called unconditional love that is this spiritual love, this transcendent love. And it just, he lost himself in that love. And then that became the teaching for the rest of his life. So he was like, you know, the professor turned into this other um, teacher. And what I think is beautiful about that is this idea that it's like, how do you get to the place where you don't come down? And so psychedelics will get you into that room, but they'll kick you out. So I think the practices of, of kind of love and awareness and being like, I know by the time I met him in the very last year of his life, it was like you would sit in his presence and it was just this oceanic wash of love mm. where you kind of dissolved into it. Mm. And that's where when I look at the way that you can be in the presence of that and it can be its own force and you can fill it kind of writ large. But then when you think about the all of the descriptions that Melina was saying or the description of the atomic unit of love, which is that bond. I think what's so powerful is whatever way you slice it or feel it, whether it's through touch, whether it's through words, like the languages of us understanding and feeling love. What I think is powerful is that all of that is in there. And Mm -hmm. it's just, what's your doorway? What's your place in the ark? How far are you going to take it? Can you apply it to yourself and the people around you? Can you practice that more? How far out can you stretch it? Like when Sharon Salzberg talks about her work, she's like, heart is white as the world. And that's like... So yummy. And I love that um, there's a bridge between science and that vast mystery beyond it. Mm. Beautiful. Got it. Try mushrooms making a <laughs> note here. Very good. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think you're a little green bean, but I like <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Uh, talking about the language of love, one of this may be a silly question, but it was something we had talked about a little bit earlier and I'm, I'm interested in. And it's just all the different metaphors that are out there. There is a theme. You can be, you know, crazy in love you, you could be love sick you can be madly in love and and it's we may be drifting into the psychology here which we often do but those terms exist because they work right we all connect to them and, I, and why is that that that's what clicks for us that it's it's madness or, or disease that we when we talk about when we try to describe love where where do we think that comes from i see alan thinking you see his eyes up there he's poking around he's got an answer well you know i think it makes you vulnerable um and so it's almost like this weird addiction that seems like sometimes it actually is an addiction and it's a problematic addiction you can be in love with somebody and have a 
there's abusive relationships. You still feel <laughs> love, but it is literally a kind of a sickness. Um, and that, I think that kind of love, um, is this kind of more immediate kind of attachment and need and a fear of losing something and comes with its own anxieties. There's this mm. negative part of it too, um, where you, you have to, we're part of, it's almost like a fear that keeps you in it, like the, the, the anxiety of losing this thing that keeps you in that relationship. And it's something that people talked about as being associated with love. It's a negative association with love that goes back a long mm. time, um, back to like the Stoics, where like you have, the Greek philosopher Epicurus, who was actually against love in some ways, he thought it was a form of earthly attachment. And he was saying that you haven't achieved, like, you know, the, the stoic version of Nirvana, which is kind of peace of mind until you're ready to throw your <laughs> wife off a boat. Or, I can't remember what the exact quote was, something weird like that, <laughs> um, which is kind of extreme. But they used to see similar things in Buddhism. Because love is. I haven't heard of the guru that does the throw your wife off your boat practice. Yeah, that's not seeming like a sign of enlightenment to me. That's that's a curious form of not attachment. The the stoic philosophers. I would say, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird line, but when you read it in context, it makes a little bit more sense. Are you defending the boat throwing guy? I I don't. I don't. No, I. I, Well, Epicurus's philosophy is almost exactly the same as Buddhism. But anyway. There's more boats and more wife. Well, yeah, Buddha said weird things too. Buddha said things about kind of rejecting earthly attachments yeah. that were kind of strange. Um, and I think it's because of that sort of dark side where you fear the, the part yeah. of the attachment is you fear losing it and so you yeah. protect it and it makes you vulnerable to those kinds of things. Um, I think that's almost the opposite of what we were just talking about with the psychedelics, which is sort of this like enlightened form of love where you can take a step back from those attachments and you know take a step back and look at yourself almost from a third person kind of point of view and see what really matters and throw away the negative parts of it positive parts and realize that everybody feels it to each other and all that kind of stuff Um, (laughs) uh, so i think uh yeah i think there is an element of the sickness of love there yeah well and i don't want to cut anybody off clinically speaking yeah go for it throw it out there are you you talking when you're talking about the attachments are you talking about attachments to people and that love or are we talking about things are we talking about money and homes and drugs and alcohol like the the attachment where, where are we here? Because yeah. megalomania, mania, this, like we said, manic love, <laughs> not a good yeah. love. There's a great word <clears throat> in Greek. It's called megalomania. And this is what brings down a lot <clears throat> of people. Megalomania is about uh, you have big thoughts. You got It's like keeping up with the Joneses. You know, you're never going to be as there's always somebody wealthier or somebody more successful or some, And if you're constantly, it's very kind of intertwined with jealousy and all those other mm. emotions and things that, that bring you down. So that's the kind of love that gets us da- It's dangerous. Um, is that what you're talking about? When you talk about being yeah, obsessed with I mean, the that's, So the Buddhists and the Stoics kind of put them in the same bucket, but I do think that there's something unique about love of people that is, you know, the, the heights of it are extreme and the lows of it are extreme. So they often the most extreme examples of, I guess, mania probably yeah. in those relationships. 
mania. Yeah, man. In English, yeah. that's yeah. my bad. It's like I say agape because that's how it is. <laughs> I never knew, like my friends, when they were uh, Russian sororities and stuff, they're like, do the Greek alphabet with me. And I'm like, okay, alphabeta, gamma. And they're like, what's that? <laughs> gamma, 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 delta. And they're like, sorry. <laughs> ah. Totally makes sense. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating. It's so complicated. And yeah. I mean, not to revert back, but when you said, were there ever times that you, you weren't uh, happy with all this love fest? Um, it's more <laughs> than just the pain in the ass of everybody being in your business. It's, uh, it's also that sort of, I used to call it the good girl syndrome. You know, like I, <laughs> I had to, I had to be a good girl. You know, a, a good Greek girl, a good Greek girl would never yeah. lie, would never do this, would always take care of her family first, you know, and even to a point where it's stupid, you know, like there were a lot of good Greek girls yeah. in my family, my aunts, uncles, great aunts that should have never stayed married, you know, but they did mm. because that's the way they were supposed to. And it created problems for kids later, you know, <laughs> and it was interesting yeah. as I grew up, I sort of went oh, this is really good. And it's sort of disguised in a, in a, I love you sort of package. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, those are the downsides of, of sort of an openness, but like, yeah. it, it's interesting because as you grow up, you, you kind of, the world sort of teaches you what else is out there. Like I, I always joke, I, I'm still, I've been in Hollywood for, I've been in this business for 30 years and it's, thank God, love me back. Um, but I still have an optimism that everybody's good until they prove themselves bad. You know, I have a, a, a healthy, uh, not, not fear, but a healthy uh, question, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'm cautiously optimistic, you know, I'll be cautious. Whereas before I might've been like, Hey, I love you. <laughs> Now I'm kind of like, okay, hold on. Let me put my foot in the water a little bit. Hold, but, please. Yeah, hold for a second. But it's it's interesting because um, you learn to sort of hold back a little bit and pull back a little bit just to be careful. Yeah. But try to keep you that. Know, we, I, I mean, it's so, what I love about this show is we've brought in all the complexity of love, right? That it can be, it can be a sickness. It can be, you know, Melina's talking about this other approach to emotions, which is they are like these roles and culture mm -hmm. puts us into these roles of like, this is how you love. You love that guy over there and, and your parents and it's in a certain hierarchical structure. And part of societal evolution is we challenge these conceptions of emotions, right? And we think about is that really what love should be? You know, and right. it's so interesting how how the inquiry into the emotions leads to surprising complexity like that, which is really revealing. For sure. Yeah. What, what I was hearing too, Melina, and what you're saying that's really interesting is like there's there's this experience of conditional love. If you're the good Greek girl, then I love you. If yeah. you're like this, then I love you. That conditionality is the kind of like 
the shadow yeah. human part within the unconditional love, which is I love you because I love you because love is really all there is when you're left with right. it. And so right. there's, it's like the, these are the shearing forces that make yeah. our struggles and make our healing. It's like, yeah. how right. how do you work towards the unconditional? Yeah. Is that is that a platonic ideal? Mm. How do we live into that in the messy humanity of it all? It's like... That's the juice. And it's it's also, it's not, it's, it's part of why I'm having such a great time writing this comedy about my family, because it could be Mm. Greek, it could be Italian, it could be Chinese, you could be whatever. And it's the same ideals. It's the, it's the, it's hilarious. I love my mother-in-law, but I swear to God, she's, you know, still to this day, I've been married for 29 years. I, I was, I was, like I told you, I met my husband. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. But my mom, my mother-in-law still tell me, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. You got the best one. The best of my boys, you know? He's wonderful. And it's good, Melina. You try. You try, you know? It's like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say with that. I know you're doing your best. Yeah. She's going to be the star of the show. You know, she's she's delicious and hilarious and, you know, Spartan, tough woman. That's wonderful. (laughs) Um, There's before we uh, we're coming into the home stretch and there's a segment that we have to get to. But uh, Alan, you mentioned uh, there was a piece in what you had said. uh, People are sort of afraid of losing and uh, losing love and, and the loss of love. Anyway, it's one of the scariest things. Mm-hmm. It's the most devastating thing. And, uh, you know, I was hesitant to go this way because I wanted to keep it fun and light. But I do want to ask this question, which is, you know, some of the most devastating, difficult to navigate feelings in my life have come at the loss of love, you know, be it a family member or my buddy Doozer on the wall back there is my first dog with my wife. And yeah, I'm drifting, obviously, a little bit more towards grief at this point. But evolutionarily speaking, you know, we're bound to experience loss, right? It's going to happen. It's inherent. So yeah, in your studies, your experience in general, why then is it so damn hard if it's something that is inevitable that we're going to go through and it's going to happen over and over again? <laughs> why have we not evolved to make it a, a slightly less bitter pill to swallow? It's it's one of the most difficult things to get through. That's well, a big question. Evolution doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work to make us happier. <laughs> Sadly, um, I mean, we can we can play with what we've evolved with to be happy, and that's sort of what all this philosophy is about. Um, is how do you live a happy life given the imperfections of our biologies? But you know, the the reality is that um, these emotions evolved, or love evolved, to put us into long term bonds mm-hmm. um, and to strengthen them and to form the kind of commitments where. You're willing to personally sacrifice. You're willing to, your, your expression of love indicates your willingness to sacrifice things for the other person. Um, so there's a pain in that, but then there's also a pain in sort of losing, uh, these, uh, this person once you form that bond with them, because the bond is a biological imperative to sort of continue to strengthen and build that relationship, um, over time. Uh, and to protect that person, yeah. honestly, uh, you know, the, like the, the, the bond forces you to care about that person's well being, And so it's a loss when you, 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 when you feel that loss, it is a very poignant kind of loss. Um, and that all makes sense from a biological perspective. It doesn't make our lives easier. Yeah. I don't think evolution <laughs> it works that way in some ways. Evolution, uh, has picked the, the moments, uh, that are most important to make our lives hard <laughs> because those are the ones where we really need to exert effort. Um, in order to uh, to achieve the biological imperative. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, it's, makes sense. I, oh, I love ahead. what yeah. you just said. I love what you just said because um, less, less, I mean, it's going to be painful, obviously. Um, yeah. But when you talk about the bonds that we create, I think, you know, it's, it's all about what we're doing right this second. It reminds us because we've all suffered loss, right? We've all suffered a loss at some point or another, and we will continue to have loss because that's what life is. But if we take every second that we have, that, that we are with those people that, you know, we gravitate towards, we love, we create love with, we have these bonds even some of our frenemies, as as my girls and I used to call them, you know, where we can't stand these people, but we love them because they're they're the you know why do we love the bad guy in the movie? Because you know, there's always something about someone that connects you in some way. So I tend to make um, the most of what I can and what is wonderful. Not to bring my culture up again. You guys are probably sick of hearing my Greek stuff, but. Um, Love you it. know, it, if it's Groundhog's Day, you know, whatever. I remember being with the family and finding a reason to celebrate and eat and have fun and do things together. And I guess the most we can do to share moments with the people that we love in this time and find the ways we can bond as opposed to the ways we, you know, disconnect. Um, it'll still be hard when we lose them. But boy, we have a, a plethora of memories and and yeah. joy of life that there are no regrets from when we were living to the fullest. Does that make sense? I think yeah, it's that's beautiful. what's so beautiful it's about beautiful. the word courage or the word courage and its root in French is at the root of that, there's a courageousness in, in loving. And that's why core that literally means heart is a heart because mm -hmm. it's the you know core of that word because it's like this is a it's a muscle you it is a it is something that you use at work and you know aches and everything else but mm -hmm. I love that that mm -hmm. the effort is the reason why we're alive like that's so beautiful yeah. Alan and Melina the way you strung that together beautiful indeed cool. thank you for that all right. Alan, let's do it. It's the end of the show. You know what that means. You gave me a little bit with Chocolate the bull stuff. Baby. That's it. Actually, I don't think I want to hear any more about those poor monkeys. Tell me about the bull. You said they made for life. They're, they they find each other. They, they, tell me. Tell me when you're hearing that Sally and bulls. Melina, as I don't know if you uh, if you saw or not, but we typically end the show. Alan will tell me uh, how the emotion we've discussed is represented or observed within the animal kingdom, and so I, we've reached that point. And uh, please tell me something adorable, Alan. Let's go. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so voles are, are a species, prairie voles in particular, a species that scientists study because they pair bonds. Um, they have monogamous relationships and they're different from rats and mice and other rodents, most other rodents in that way. Most other rodents uh, don't really bond with the, the thing, the other, the conspecific they mate with. It's just kind of a very um, functional <laughs> relationship. Um, whereas prairie voles, you know, they stay together, they raise their children together. Um, and uh, you can see why that happens in their brain chemistry, which is really interesting. That uh, They have oxytocin receptors in the nucleus accumbens, which is one of the regions responsible. It's a dopaminergic region. So I talked about dopaminergic stuff in one of the other episodes, but it's the one responsible, very responsible for addiction, habit formation. 
And so this, uh, this sort of social interaction, oxytocin inducing social interactions, habit forming thing or variables. And it's somewhat intuitive why that is. Um, and so, uh, that makes them very interesting species to study. Um, they, that you can see the same sort of brain chemistry activated in other non monogamous, uh, rodents, but mostly for, uh, filial relationships with so mothers and infants. Um, and you see those sorts of changes happening in the brain uh, at a critical period where the mother is huddling the pups. And that's, it's literally the skin-on-skin contact that mediates uh, the, the, the brain response and the permanent alterations of brain chemistry that cause that pup to want to seek out their mother over time and their uh, um, you know, brothers and sisters and huddle with them and uh, sleep next to each other. So, uh, you can see the chemistry of these bonds forming and similar in humans. Um, so that love definitely happens in animals. Another really good example of uh, love in animals uh, is uh, infant-directed uh, prosody or you know, vocalization, which you see across every culture in humans. In every culture, kind of mothers speak to their infants in the same way. Infants kind of babble. And the mother is just compelled to make that mother reese. Um, and I was conducting this research this morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's just compulsive. And uh, you don't see it in all other mammals. Uh, you don't see it, for example, in uh, chimps or bonobos. You do see it in certain other mammals, for example, in, in bats. It's been observed in seals. In bats, it's hypersonic, so you, you, ultrasonic, so you have to like lower the frequency, but it sounds like you know, <laughs> similar to mother rees. It's kind of a weird high-pitched thing, and the, the, the infant is babbling, and they're kind of huddling together, and it's a really important interaction. You see that in, um, in seals and some other random mammals, um, and it's associated with that oxytocin response, too. So that's another connection. Cool. In humans, it's also associated with oxytocin. You, that vocalization itself induces an oxytocin response in, the, response in the infant, which is really interesting. Awesome. Love drugs. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so I also had to, prairie, I had to Google prairie bull because I was like, what is this animal look like? Is it lovable? Prairie bulls are absolutely adorable. They're the very Why? <laughs> I Googled as well. Very cute. Very cute, yeah. It's like a goose ball with eyes. It's like really tiny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, for our younger listeners, a koosh ball was a toy in the 90s and 80s. And I don't know if they still have them. I haven't seen one in a while, but uh, it looks like a prairie ball. Um, sadly, that is, uh, unfortunately, it's all the time we have. It's a little then some even, uh, but this was too good to cut short. I, I had a ton of fun with all of you. I got to wrap things up. So first and foremost, a chocolate factory sized thank you to our special guest, oh. Melina. It was just so wonderful to have you. Thank, uh, thank you. you so much for making time and, and sharing all those incredible stories. Uh, just an absolute delight. Um, and where where should people keep an eye out for, for Greek candy? Is, is uh, how, how much candy, time until we get to see the show? We're uh, we're developing and writing right now. We're on episode two. Okay. It's uh, with IMDb TV, which is owned by Amazon, and Great. Sony is the studio. So keep your fingers, fingers crossed, crossed and look out there. Awesome. And, Good luck. Yeah. Hopefully, Good luck. Yeah, in the new year. Amazing. You guys are awesome. I, I love oh. you all, even my Fasolaki. Um, wish you all a beautiful a beautiful Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy your families and. Um, and meet some new ones and great, great being with you all today. 
Thank oh, you. So sweet. Thank you. You didn't have to say that. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you to the literal brains behind this entire operation. Danielle, Alan, Dacker, always a pleasure. I say it every time I mean it. There is no show without you. Uh, and thank you to you, our listeners. That's right. Plural. John Hodgman, we did it. Uh, a special shout out, uh, especially to Lauren, Brendan and Ryan and all my friends and buds over at the Breakfast Club for uh, supporting the show and listening. Uh, I, I, I went to a Friendsgiving uh, just recently, this was past weekend, and I was shocked to find that, that literally uh, practically everyone there listens to the show. It was engaging in conversations about it. It, it moved me. And it means a lot uh, to myself, as I'm sure it does to everyone working on the show. So thank you. Uh, uh, to them and, and to really everyone who, who's listened to the show. I'm very thankful for everyone that's joined us along this journey so far this year. You know, as, as the year comes to a close, so does season one of The Feelings Lab. We've only got one more episode left this year, and, and I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. That's coming a little bit later in December. Uh, this is also your last chance if you have any questions, comments, or just want to vent. You know, we're always here to listen. Email us at thefeelingslab at Hume. Dot AI, you know what's about to happen. I'm gonna put it right down here. The feelings lab at hume.ai. Uh farewell for now. From all of us at the feelings lab, I'm Matt Fazalaki Forte. Uh, <laughs> uh, have 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 a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody, and please stay safe out there. <laughs>